Welcome, everyone, to the Predictably Treacherous podcast. This week's episode, we're going to be looking at the Mill Creek Cult Terror Cinema Collection. One of the things I like to do is I buy a lot of these DVD collections, and I like to watch all the movies on them and then do a podcast episode about it. Um, so I'm not going to go into detail about all the movies, like, you know, a detailed analysis of each of the acts and the plot points and that sort of shit. I'm just going to go through some of the films on it, talk about whether the collection's good or not, and the answer is yes, they're all going to be good. Um, and I'm a big fan of B-movies and just weird, shitty movies and older movies, so buckle up. All right, so the Mill Creek Cult Terror Cinema Collection. Um, there's going to be links in the show notes to the products on Amazon. Um, the collection contains 12 films. Um, they're all from Crown International Pictures, which was a distribution company, and they put out a lot of drive-in and B-movies from, I guess, around the 50s to the 80s, I think. And they're they're gone now. They're bankrupt now. Um, or, you know, I don't know what the details are, but the company is no longer exists now. Um, okay, so the, the, the collection, yes, has 12 films. The DVD cover has a depiction from the movie Carnival of Crime. Uh, the package is compact and it looks pretty good. First film up, uh, or at least first film, I'm going to do them in chronological order. Um, it's just, I always want to approach things like that. So the first film we're going to look at is Bloodlust from 1961. Sorry, Bloodlust, exclamation point, 1961. So the runtime is 68 minutes. Oh, he, I'm on board already. Um, all these good B-movies, the runtime should be somewhere between 60 and 90 minutes. Um, 68 minutes, great. It's perfect. Um, so here's what Wikipedia had to say about Bloodlust. So Bloodlust is a 1961 American horror thriller film based on Richard Connell's short story, The Most Dangerous Game. It was produced by Robert H. Bagley and written, directed, and produced by Ralph Brooke for Cinegraph Productions. The movie stars Wilton Graff, June Kennedy, Joan Laura, Eugene Person, and Robert Reed. Its plot follows four young adults who visit a tropical island only to become prey for a sadistic hunter. It was filmed in 1959 but not released until 1961, when it was the second movie on a double feature with The Devil's Hand. So Wikipedia continues. Bloodlust is an adaptation of Richard Connell's short story, The Most Dangerous Game, first published in Collier's Magazine in 1924. Versions of the story have been made as theatrical films, shorts, and made-for-television movies at least 17 times between 1932 and 2016. Bloodlust was filmed at Screencraft Studios in Hollywood by Cinegraph Productions, but it was not released by Crown International Pictures until 13th of September 1961, when it premiered in San Diego, California on a double bill with The Devil's Hand. The movie was distributed by Astral Films in Canada in 1963 and was also released in Mexico and the Soviet Union, although at unspecified dates. Okay, I apologize. That was a, that was a long read. Um, I'm going to read a bit more. Um, I'm going to read from Wikipedia uh, their entry on The Most Dangerous Game, the short story. Um, okay, so The Most Dangerous Game, also published as The Hounds of Zardoff, 
is a short story by Richard Connell, first published in Collier's on January 19th, 1924. The story features a big game hunter from New York City who falls off a yacht and swims to what seems to be an abandoned and isolated island in the Caribbean where he is hunted by a Russian aristocrat. The story is inspired by the big game hunting safaris in Africa and South America that were particularly fashionable among wealthy Americans in the 1920s. The story has been adapted numerous times, most notably as the 1932 RKO Pictures film The Most Dangerous Game, starring Joel McRae and Leslie Banks, and for a 1943 episode of the CBS radio series Suspense starring Orson Welles. Okay, so yeah, those are long clips. Sorry about that. Um, I actually, this, this is really interesting. The most dangerous game, this has popped up in a, a lot of stuff. Um, so there's, there's a few films. I am going to do an episode later on strictly the most dangerous game short story. Um, a couple of the movie adaptations and just talk a bit about it because it's, it's a cool story. There's been some cool adaptations of it. It's definitely worth a full episode. Um, but it is a part of this um, collection, so I'm just discussing it a bit here. So just some general thoughts on this carnation of the movie, uh, uh, sorry, of the of the story, this Bloodlust. Um, the movie poster for Bloodlust looks really good. Um, it's got a, lo a lot of orange sky, so it looks like dusk all the time. Um, and it has the antagonist dressed like he's hunting on a safari in the jungle with Ernest Hemingway. And uh, there's a bunch of poor saps screaming for their lives. And there's also, um, on a poster, it shows the guy melting in a vat of acid, which is one of the really cool scenes from the film. Um, so here's kind of a brief synopsis, very brief two couples on a fishing trip in a chartered boat uh, their captain is a drunk and they veer off course uh, to an island so they decide to go ashore until the captain sobers up so the island turns out to be the home to a dr albert balliol i think a wealthy and powerful recluse who hunts animals and humans for sport the two couples unwittingly become the object of the doctor's next hunt. So this is a totally good film. It's totally worth watching. As I said, 68 minutes. Just, it's not a lot of time. Um, it's like a Game of Thrones episode or something, you know. Uh, it's, it's totally worth it. It's black and white, um, but it's a fairly crisp image. It's not one of these really shitty black and white movies that are terrible to watch. Like the image is not grainy. It doesn't look old. It, it's fairly crisp. Um, so 68 minutes. So there, there's really no wasted scenes. The movie zips along very quickly. Um, you don't get bored. The girls are mega hot, mega hot. They're total foxes. That's worth it. Um, it's a great concept. Uh, the actual short story is, I think, only like 15 or 17 pages. It's totally worth the read, too. It's a great concept about a man who hunts people for sport. And as I said before, there's a fantastic scene where a guy, um, he actually gets judo flipped by one of the hot girls into a vat of acid, and he screams as he melts. So it's a, it's a pretty cool scene. Okay.
Now, let's look at the second film in the collection. Well, I'm doing them in chronological order, so the next film in chronological order is Carnival of Crime, 1962. I don't have a lot to say about this. Okay, uh, from the moviedatabase.org, Mike and Ark. Oh, so first of all, the moviedatabase.org is uh, hit and miss on some of their... It's, it's peer edited. I mean, and so is Wikipedia. But um, there are some really shoddy and short and snarky reviews on the moviedatabase.org. Okay, so Mike, an architect, is married to Lynn, a beautiful and unfaithful woman. Returning from a trip, he finds she's disappeared. When he tries to locate her, he also learns about her many affairs, and he gets closer to Marina, his efficient assistant, who helps him solve the mystery. Uh... That's a little confusing. I was confused. I had no idea what was going on in this film. I really should rewatch this one. I don't feel like I devoted all my attention to it when I watched it. It was very hard to to follow and very hard to stay paying attention to it. So the picture and the sound quality was bad. It was very bad. The music was bad. The dialogue and acting was bad. It was hard to follow what was happening in the film. The backdrop was uh, Mardi Gras, so um, I, there's some sort of cheating woman. She refuses to end a relationship with her lover uh, at the lover's request, and then she's somehow accidentally killed by the lover, and the husband finds out uh, when the lover confesses, and he chases the lover through Mardi Gras, and then the lover falls to his death. That's what I got from it, but I really... I didn't feel like I, I was confident that I knew what was going on. Like if you gave me a, a multiple choice quiz with 10 questions on it, I would get about three to four out of 10 correct. Okay. Next film. Next up on the docket. Escape from Hell Island, 1963. Um, okay, so from the moviedatabase.org. So generally I go to Wikipedia for plot summaries and all the details of movies. But a lot of these type of movies are not on Wikipedia. So I go to the moviedatabase.org. So they don't have information about, um, typically, about the budgets of movies or the production companies involved, all this sort of stuff. Moviedatabase.org has got some basic information about who was in the movie, who directed it, who produced it. Uh, maybe a brief summary, but it's probably not very accurate. And then movie posters. The moviedatabase.org is a good resource if you have a home media center. Generally, your home media center, like Plex or MB, um, will use the moviedatabase.org to get its metadata for your movies and your libraries and to get pictures and uh, downloadable content. Um, by the way, I have a, a blog post on my website, ptpod.xyz. Um, about setting up a home media center using MB. Um, actually, I think I said I uh, wrote the post uh, based on Plex, but MB is the same thing. Uh, I may go in and update it. Check it out if you're uh, interested in that. It changes your whole world when you start ripping your DVDs to um, to a home media center, and then you can watch them on your TV. It's like having your own personal Netflix with your personal media. Okay, that's a side note. So from the moviedatabase.org. 
Escape from Hell Island, 1963. The plot concerns a Key West charter boat captain persuaded to help smuggle Cuban refugees to Florida. When a refugee is killed while escaping, he loses his license and becomes involved with a married woman whose jealous husband wants him dead. Okay. So, here are my thoughts about this one. This this movie looked beautiful. Um, it would have been great in color. Uh, it's, it's outside. It's um, on a boat a lot of the time. It's bright and sunny. It seems really peaceful and nice. Um, the music was very soothing, very elevator. It was like being in a department store playing something like a Muzak. The charter boat captain hired by a rich Cuban dude to sneak his daughter and her husband and some others out of Cuba. He falls in love with the daughter and she with him, but her husband has a temper. So somehow in the final act of the movie, the captain and the husband end up at sea alone together in the charter boat. The husband takes the opportunity to try and do away with the captain, but in doing so, he gets himself killed. It's actually kind of a, a good little, it's, it's a drawn out scene, the end scene, but the captain ends up in the water and the husband's on the boat and the husband won't let him back on the boat and he's just going to abandon him uh, at sea. Um, and the captain gets back on the boat somehow and ends up killing the, the husband. It's pretty good. So this one is, it's slow going though. You have to be ready for that. Um, you need to be patient, but I, I liked it. It was, it was a good little, good little movie. It's, I mean, you probably haven't seen a movie like this. It's just, it's really different. So this one's 80 minutes, which is great. Uh, it's black and white, but it's a fairly, it's a fairly good image. Um, the audio is a little bit low. It's not the best audio. So you kind of got to be focused on it. Or like, if you're like me, you're watching on your computer because you rip everything to MP4, whatever it is. Anyways, it doesn't matter. You rip it to your computer, to your media center, use your headphones, okay? I mean, you could do that on your TV too. But yeah, use your headphones. The audio is uh, it's a little low. Okay, next movie. The Creeping Terror, 1964. Okay, so this one gets maligned in the... Um, on the web. I think generally people don't like this movie. I'm just going to say right now, I thought it was fantastic. So from Wikipedia, this is a long read, so bear with me. The Creeping Terror, 1964. The Creeping Terror uh, is a 1964 horror slash science fiction film directed by and starring Vic Savage. The plot involves a slug-like monster terrorizing an American town after escaping from a crashed spaceship. The Creeping Terror is widely considered to be one of the worst films of all time. In September 1994, The Creeping Terror was the subject of derisive riffing on the satirical television series Mystery Science Theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, solidifying its cult status. So Wikipedia continues. Principal photography on location began in late 1962, but instead of shooting at scenic Lake Tahoe, as Siliphant had intended, a muddy pond at Span Ranch at Simi Valley, California had to do. When the creator of the special effects was not paid, he, quote, stole the original creature just a day before shooting, forcing Savage and his crew to put together a poorly constructed replica 
In John Stanley's Revenge of the Creature Features Movie Guide 1988, he described the creature as an elongated alien monster resembling a clumsy shag rug which devours people through a gaping maw, overturns cars and takes forever to shamble 10 feet. When prolonged breaks as production difficulties were overcome and new financing obtained, Location shooting resumed in 1963, during spring and into hot summer months, while studio work continued at the Metropolitan International Picture Studio. So Wikipedia continues. Uh, Siliphant saw that the direction the film was taking would harm his family, especially the reputation of half-brother Sterling, rather than enhance it, so he bowed out after the studio scenes were done. The production became a weekend affair for several more months, with Savage raising the money by selling small parts to starstruck plumbers and others. Savage may have also checked into a motel with a silent picture, only Moviola, to do a quick assembly of the film. There is only a limited amount of dialogue in the film because Savage supposedly shot scenes without regard to the professional quality of the sound, or even transferring it properly to a 35mm mag stock. Having insufficient money to pay for the basic sound transfers, Savage finally hired a local radio news reader to narrate the entire film in post-production, although some redubbing of some characters did take place. The narrator speaks over much of the dialogue in the film, while long bouts devoid of dialogue have no narration, similar in style to many of the educational films of the 50s and 60s. Reportedly, the original soundtracks were lost, although the film may have been shot without sound as a cost-saving measure and that dubbing was to have taken place after production, just before the film's release. Savage was reportedly sued and facing a possible indictment on charges of fraud, vanished. He was apparently never heard from again in the context of film production and reportedly died of liver failure in 1975 at age 41. In 2009, his wife, Lois, wrote a tell-all novel that featured her life with Savage, albeit using aliases. Okay, so um, one thing I should point out is that there is a documentary about the creeping terror, and it's called The Creep Behind the Camera, and I'm going to be doing an episode later um, about the creeping terror and about the documentary about the creeping terror. So that will come up at some point because there's a lot of material on this and it's, it's fun. Now, my thoughts on the film. Um, so here's what I've written down randomly. In some scenes, we're in a room watching a conversation take place, but not hearing the actors speak. Instead, we're told what the characters are talking about by a narrator. This seems a strange choice, especially since this is not consistent throughout the film. Sometimes we're shown a scene and do hear the actors speak, but the audio seems to be dubbed in since the words do not match the mouth movements. Perhaps they had a problem with the audio and chose to replace it through a combination of dubbing and narration. Okay, so I wrote this before I'd read the Wikipedia article about it, but clearly that's kind of what did happen. They didn't... They, they filmed it, the sound quality was shit, so they had a, what did he say, what did it say in the Wikipedia article? Uh, a radio host narrate parts of the film. It's really a bizarre experience when you're watching the film because uh, the, the characters are talking on screen and you see their mouths moving, you're thinking, why, why, why are we not listening to what they're saying? And instead, there's this radio guy saying, Jim thought it was a wonderful idea. And it's just, it's really bizarre. Um, okay, so the monster... 
I, this is what I wrote. The monster is sort of a large, flat, hairy, caterpillar-like creature. It eats people very slowly by engulfing them and sucking them in through a hairy orifice. Uh, there's a scene where the monster consumes a woman in a bikini. She was making out with her boyfriend on a blanket when the beast approached. The guy just split. He just abandoned her. And the girl screamed for about 20 seconds as the monster slowly approached and engulfed her. That was actually... um. It was pretty cool. Uh, it's just, it's wild. It is. It's like a giant shag rug or something. And it just kind of slinks along the ground. And people just stand there and scream and wait to get sucked in by the big carpet monster. It's pretty cool. Okay. There's also a scene where a baby has a fever and is writhing around in its crib. And then we're shown a smaller creature prowling around looking for people to eat. And I think we're supposed to equate the creature to offspring, like the small creature that shows the offspring of the larger creature at the beginning of the film. There's also a great dance hall scene after the midpoint uh, when the offspring creature is getting rather large. So 20 or so dancers are twisting for what's it seems like about two or three minutes and then the creature arrives and causes a mass exodus. And somehow there's a big pile up at the fire exit and the creature consumes several people. There are endless scenes of this thing consuming people. Eventually there's a standoff with a squad of seven military, uh, like army guys. The creature consumes them and the doctor blows up the creature with a grenade. Then the doctor goes back to where they have the other creature tied up and tries to blow it up, but he releases it in the process. The deputy from the beginning plows the creature with his squad car and he kills it. The narrator tells us that the doctor somehow figured out that the creatures were consuming humans so that they could ke uh, chemically analyze them so that their ship's computer could send the information back to their homeworld. The deputy tries to destroy the ship's computer, but is unable to before the message is transmitted. Okay, here's something else about um, the reception of the film. I'm going to quote from Wikipedia. With Savage disappearing as the main financier, William Thorbley uh, acquired the remaining film stock and had an edited version created in order to recoup some of his investment. The Creeping Terror would not be suitable for wide release, and although, at best, it would have been relegated to drive-in theaters and second-run showings, instead, it was sold to television in 1976 as a part of a syndication package of films for local UHF channels. In 1994, The Creeping Terror was featured in episode 606 of Mystery Science Theater 3000. The cast and crew of Mystery Science Theater 3000 were the film's most prominent critics. TV Guide called The Creeping Terror pure camp and said that it might be the second worst horror film ever made behind only Plan 9 from Outer Space. Okay, so that's a bit harsh. Um, I actually thought this was great. It was a great film. Of course it was camping. The film was handicapped by low financing and a lack of technology and expertise to create the creature it needed. Um, but I love the entire concept of a hairy blob-type creature that moves and consumes. The audio and narration was really bad, and they really mailed in the resolution. I mean, they had a, a creative idea that uh, the creatures were attempting to chemically analyze humans to send the intel back to their homeworld. 
But having the doctor just blurt this out with no real evidence and not really showing you how he came to that conclusion, that was a little thin. Okay, next film, The Babysitter, 1969. Okay, from the org, A middle-aged husband falls for his children's teenage babysitter. Okay, um, from Rotten Tomatoes. A middle-aged district attorney is seduced by his teenage babysitter in this exploitation feature. George Maxwell, George E. Carey, receives little attention from his increasingly harridan wife, Edith Ann Bellamy. Sweet Candy Wilson, Patricia Weimer, is the teen tart who turns more than his head. He and Candy are photographed by Julie, Kathy Williams, the bad biker babe being prosecuted by George. When Julie threatens to send the erotic pictures to his boss and wife, Candy realizes George's career could be destroyed. Candy and her girlfriend seek out Julie and extract their own system of justice and punishment on the blackmailer in this R-rated suburban fantasy. Okay, so here are my thoughts. This is my pseudo-movie review. A district attorney stuck in a loveless marriage begins an affair with a 20-something babysitter who looks like Michelle Williams in Dawson's Creek. Meanwhile, a dude from a motorbike gang brutally kills a woman and the prosecutor in his trial is the district attorney. The girlfriend of the murderer has a scheme plan to have a lesbian encounter with the DA's daughter and use it to frame the DA into dropping the case. But when she discovers that the DA is involved with the babysitter, she uses the illicit relationship as leverage instead. Not bad. Lots of nudity. That's my review. Okay. Kind of a short film. It's worth seeing. Okay, next one. Horror High, 1973, from themoviedatabase.org. A nerdy high school super whiz experiments with a chemical which will transform his guinea pig, Mr. Mumps, from a gentle pet into a ravenous monster. In a fit of rage against his tormentors at the high school, Vernon Potts goes on a killing spree, eliminating all of those who ever picked on him the gym coach, the school jock, the creepy janitor, and his hated teacher, Miss Grindstaff. Okay. Uh, I like that name, Miss Grindstaff. That's really um, suggestive that she hates men. Okay, this one is a straightforward revenge pick. There's no twist here. The protagonist dies at the end. Uh, I'm... I don't know. I, I, I wasn't in love with this one. I didn't think it was very good. Uh, there's a site, uh, Horrorpedia, and it does a more lengthy review. So there's a link in the show notes. And it looks like actually Return to Horror High is kind of more loved. It has its own Wikipedia page, and there's a link in the show notes for that. Okay, next film. The Teacher, 1974. Here's what, uh, sorry, the movie database had to say. 18-year-old Sean's first summer after completing high school is much spent with 28-year-old teacher Diane, whose husband is too often motorcycle racing instead of with her. Wacko Ralph also has, quote, the hots for Diane. And it doesn't help that Sean was with Ralph's younger brother, Lou, 
when Lou died. See who's writing these reviews. Okay, here's what Wikipedia had to say. The Teacher is a 1974 American coming-of-age suspense film written, produced, and directed by Hikmet Avedis, also known as Howard Avedis, in just 12 days for an estimated $65,000 and released by Crown International Pictures. The film is Hikmet Avedis's grindhouse homage to The Graduate, 1967. The film stars Angel Tompkins, Jay North, and Anthony James, and tells the story of an 18-year-old's first relationship with his alluring teacher and the hidden danger awaiting them in the shadows. The film is daring and uh, in its narrative structure and ludicrous in the extreme. It's part leering softcore sex romp, part tender coming-of-age drama, part stock-and-chill suspenser. The movie's mismatched parts come together to form a surreal and laughable whole. Unquote. Okay, here's my thoughts on the film. Um, it was pretty good. I I, I, uh, I liked it. It was all right. Okay, my thoughts. Incredibly foxy Diane Marshall, Angel Tompkins, is a 28-year-old high school teacher who breaks the half-your-age plus seven rule by dating her 18-year-old former student, Sean. Meanwhile, crazy hearse-driving army vet Ralph is stalking them day and night and wants to kill Sean to avenge his brother's death. Angel Tompkins does a lot of nude scenes, and there's a big showdown at an abandoned warehouse at the end, shot in 12 days with a budget of 65000 I like that. I think I enjoy my little movie reviews more than uh, these other ones. Next film, Land of the Minotaur, 1976. Yikes. Okay, from the moviedatabase.org. A satanic cult kidnaps three young people, and priest Donald Pleasance and Costas Scorus must save them from the hands of this evil. Okay. From Wikipedia. Tourists visiting a Greek archaeological site are being abducted by a strange cult, intent on providing their god, the Minotaur, with sacrifice. Irish priest Father Roche, Donald Pleasance, enlist the help of former pupil and a private detective to find out what has happened to them. Okay, unquote. So I was really hoping there was going to be a labyrinth with people trying to get out and being chased by a minotaur and the whole thing would be a giant metaphor that I wouldn't really understand, but it would be a metaphor for something else. But it ended up just being about a cult that performs a boring ritualistic killings and has a statue of a minotaur. It could have been so much more. There's actually a pretty good article I put in the show notes. Um, it's an article from Psychology Today, and it has a little to say about the minotaur metaphor in relation to psychotherapy. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole article. It's very lengthy. It's not very lengthy, but it's in the show notes. Um, but ultimately the Minotaur represents the primal fear of the unknown and the fear of death. Um, so there's so many things it could have done with the Minotaur metaphor. Um, I also put a link to Wikipedia article on the Minotaur and symbolism behind the Minotaur, that sort of stuff. Basically, at the end of this film, Donald Pleasance throws holy water on Peter Cushing 
and he and the statue of the Minotaur explode. This one was terrible. I would never watch this movie again. Like, it was a serious letdown. And I like Donald Pleasance. He's, he's amusing. He's good. Check out Donald Pleasance in Halloween and uh, the wonderful sci-fi film, THX 1138. Brilliant film. Okay, next one. The Crater Lake Monster, 1977. 85 minutes long and a budget of 100000 It's pretty good. So it's hitting those points. That's good. Here's what the moviedatabase.org had to say. The heat of a meteor crashing into the lake incubates a prehistoric egg, which grows into a plesiosaur-like monster that terrifies the community. I guess. Okay. From Wikipedia, The Crater Lake Monster is a 1977 B-movie horror film directed by William R. Stromberg for Crown International Pictures and starring Richard Cardella. The storyline revolves around a giant plesiosaur akin to the Loch Ness Monster, which appears in Crater Lake in Northern California near Susanville, not to be confused with a much more famous Crater Lake in Oregon. As people are attacked by the monster, the sheriff, Cardella, investigates along with a group of scientists in order to stop the creature. Okay, so this movie did not do it for me. Um, it's It looks good on paper and it sounds good in theory, but it just sucked. Uh, the monster... Okay, I, yeah, the monster looked good, but it was terrible in the movie. Like... I guess I mean, when you see a static picture of the monster, it looks good. Um, but in the movie, it didn't move. And you didn't get to see the monster kill anybody. It just showed up in scenes. And then they skipped directly to the aftermath. So after the people are dead. And you just see like some blood or something. It was horrendous. The locals were like a caricature of small town folk. Um, it was just so tropey. Uh, there were no compelling characters at all. There were these two boat rental guys who were just buffoons. It was hard to believe. Okay, next film, The Hearse, 1980. So from the moviedatabase.org, a school teacher moves into her deceased aunt's house in a small California town and is harassed by unfriendly locals and a mysterious hearse. From Wikipedia, Jane Hardy, Trish Vandeveer, arrives in town of Blackford to stay in an old house left to her by her late aunt. As time passes, Jane learns secrets her aunt kept from her in life, but that were well known by the townspeople. In life, Jane's aunt had been a devil worshipper, and upon her death, the hearse carrying her body crashed, but no sign of the driver or of the coffin were ever found. Since then, the house inherited by Jane has been haunted by evil spirits, and the rural road out of Blackford has been haunted by the hearse that crashed. As these stories come to light, Jane attempts to leave Blackford to avoid being drawn in by her aunt's spirit, but finds herself pursued by the ghostly hearse and held prisoner inside Blackford by spirits. Okay, I didn't get all that out of the film. It's actually uh, 
really lend some insight into what happened. I was a little bit confused throughout this film. I did like it a lot. So so my thoughts are this, this one was really good. It had me guessing early on and all throughout. So I wasn't sure whether Jane was a ghost or whether she was her she was actually her aunt somehow. Um, it the movie had some scares in it. I like the small town setting and the old house setting. And Trish Vandeveer is very attractive, but she must be really short. The first thing I saw her in was uh, season seven, episode three of Columbo, Make Me a Perfect Murder, where they were smart enough to make her use her uh, smooth and sexy voice by having her voice a countdown that her character used during the murder that she was committing. You have 30 seconds. Make the changeover okay? Like a champ. All right. Oh, yeah, she's got a good little voice. She has a just a touch of a little accent, uh, but she has a really smooth voice. It's very nice. Um, she would have been a great voice for the computer in a sci-fi series like Star Trek. Okay, so next film is Fleshburn. So this is 1984. TheMovieDatabase.org. A soldier who deserted because of spiritual beliefs was tried and evaluated by four psychiatrists, and they all concluded that he was unable to distinguish right from wrong, so he was sentenced to a mental hospital. One day, he escapes and kidnaps them and leaves them all in the middle of the desert. That's not really that accurate for that... um description. Okay, so here's what Wikipedia had to say. Very short description as well. Fleshburn is a 1984 American thriller film written and directed by George Gage and starring Steve Canelay, Karen Carlson, and Sonny Landham. Yeah, that's that's a bit more accurate. Okay, so my thoughts. This is a uh, thriller in the, I would say, the wilderness survival subgenre. So if you like survival or desert themes, you'll probably like this movie a lot. Uh, the plot was very straightforward. So basically, yes, the guy is a prisoner. He's in a whatever, uh, or sorry, he's an army guy, and he was he was in a mental hospital, and he escapes at the beginning. He goes over a there's just a spotlight, and um, a barbed wire fence, and he climbs over it. Anyways, he um, hijacks some guy in his or he. he hitches a ride with a guy in a truck at night and then he kills him takes his truck he goes and kidnaps all the psychiatrists and brings him to the desert okay so then the film gets going he's in the desert with them 
he basically leaves them out there in just the clothes that they have. They don't have any shoes. Uh, one guy just has shorts, no shirt, and they have to try and survive. And then he's not gone. Sonny's not gone. He basically camps out somewhere close to there and he terrorizes them as they try and survive. So basically over a bit of time, they um, go on the attack and go after Sonny and then they get him and that's it. So it's good. It's, it's okay. It's not a bad little film. Sonny Landham is pretty interesting. He's got a, he's a good looking guy. He's got a great voice, another great voice. Um, I think if you're trying to figure out who he is, you probably know him from Predator, right? He was uh, Billy. He was Billy in Predator. He had a small part, but he was he was good in it. He has a very distinctive voice when you hear him talk. Um, he was also in Another 48 Hours, I think. That was the one? Okay. And a few other films. So, yes. Uh, decent film, worth seeing, or if you're a real like survival film kind of person, you definitely need to see this because it's a take on that genre. Next film, The Lurkers. I'm sorry, Lurkers, 1988. Terrible, terrible film. I uh, had a lot of trouble understanding what the hell was going on. Um, didn't really like it that much. So here's what the movie database had to say. A woman is haunted by flashbacks of her dead mother and visions of dead people floating. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd endorse that. So basically what's happening is that at the beginning of the movie, there's a little girl and her mother is abusive and mean and her mother is going to abuse her and the father gets killed by the mother. So I guess the little girl ends up in a, like an orphanage and, and then, but we don't get to see that. We just suddenly see, okay, now she's, she's in her twenties or something. She's super hot and she's somehow a musician. And I think she is in an orchestra that's highly improbable. I mean, she was in an orphanage, but somehow she ends up being in an orchestra. Seems, uh, doesn't seem like that would happen. Nevertheless, she is just some boyfriend and, but she sees visions of like ghosts or dead people or something. And she gets scared by it. And throughout the movie, she just keeps seeing these visions. She does some nude scenes and then I think towards the end, she ends up at a party and she realizes her boyfriend is working with some bad people who committed a murder. And I don't know what really happens beyond that. It's, it's, it's kind of a terrible movie. I mean, you could watch it, but I just, I had a lot of trouble following along on what was going on. Okay. So that's the last movie in the collection. Um, overall, the collection was very good. Uh, there's some good films in it. It's not expensive. It's not like this is $100 or something. I think I paid like, I don't know, 15 bucks for this or something? Maybe maybe 20 bucks. I don't know. It's worth it. It's worth it. These cult B-movies from the past are, are amazing. Depends how much you're into this, though. If you, if you just want a, a couple little collections, I would recommend something like this. But there are some bigger collections offered by Mill Creek. Um, if you're really into these type of movies, there are some very big collections they have. I just recently bought a collection from Mill Creek and it's, uh, 200 films. I feel kind of bad about it, kind of guilty, but, um, it seems like a really good collection. It's got a lot of films on it, a lot of really shitty and awesome B movies. Um, I think it's for basically from the sixties all the way up to the eighties. 
and um, I'm glad I did it. Okay. So this is a good little collection, though. If you're just looking for a small collection, you don't need 200 films. This is not a bad place to start. And you know what? You might get it, watch it, and realize, hey, I really like these movies a lot more than the mainstream garbage that's out there. Thank you for listening today. Check out the show notes for this episode or any episode on my website at ptpod.xyz. The show notes contain the links to all my sources and products that were referenced in the episode. You can write a glowing review of my podcast on iTunes or Google Play. There are handy-dandy links in the menu on my website at ptpod.xyz. And you can support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ptpod. The intro music for today's episode was Sweeter Vermouth, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Check out the link in the show notes. Thank <laughs> you.